0: Thank you for tuning in to another edition of the Business of Fun Podcast. I'm your host, Dave Wakeman. Today's episode is brought to you by my friends at Booking Protect, the global leaders in refund protection. Any listing, any sector, anywhere, Booking Protect has you covered with the world's most comprehensive refund protection product. To find out how you and your organization can partner with Booking Protect to deliver world-class customer service to your patrons, a better, more personalized buying experience, and how you and your organization can create a new stream of revenue, visit them at www.bookingprotect.com. Once again, that web address is www.bookingprotect.com. Come see me and Booking Protect CEO Simon Mab in Sydney, Australia. When I post this podcast, it will be November 4th, and we will be in Australia soon on the 14th and 15th in Sydney. For the Ticketing Professionals Conference of Australia, I'm going to be giving the opening keynote on change. Simon's going to be talking about customer service and fraud prevention, and we will have a stand in the trade show. So come by, see us. Get your tickets today at www.ticketingprofessionals.com.au. Again, that's www.ticketingprofessionals.com.au. You also probably want to sign up for my new newsletter. My team's been putting together a fabulous new newsletter called Talking Tickets. It is a weekly email, comes out on Fridays, usually Friday morning in the States and whatever a time that is locally for you, with five stories focused on what happened during the week, all about tickets and entertainment, with a short analysis for me about why these stories are important and why they matter to you and how you can think through them and take action so that you can make them into opportunities. You can get that email by visiting my website, which is DaveWakeman.com, and clicking on the link to the Talking Tickets newsletter. My guest today is a great one. Ruby Newell Legner is on. If you don't know Ruby, um, she is her company is Seven Star Service, and she is fantastic. Um, we talked about customer service, because that is her gig, um, which I thought was all we were going to talk about. But we talked about how customer service and delivering great customer service is part of a vision for an organization. Uh, she talked about some of the models of change that people need. We talked about communication. We talked about trust. We talked about uh, willingness to change. We talked about... Um, being clear on what you wanted to, what you want your vision and your organization to stand for. Uh, we talked about um, how often you should be looking at the vision of your organization, understanding how often you should be res- visiting some of the customer services um, mantras that you use and some of the fan experience mantras, uh, how emotional intelligence may be the key to success in business today. Um, we talked about uh, her favorite hotel, um, which if you haven't seen the pictures, you got to see them. I mean, she, they're fantastic. I still tell the story of when she showed me those pictures the first time everywhere I go. Um, she gave some really great examples from some of the people she's worked with, like the Kansas City Royals and the Orlando Magic, they, who have, um, and the Tampa Bay Lightning. And all three of their mission statements and kind of their guiding principles around customer service and the way they want their organization to operate are really inspiring and really great. And um, Ruby and I are like uh, peas in a pod when it comes to marketing and customer service, and um, this is one I really, really enjoy doing, and um, it's like turned into like a little bit of a mutual love fest between the two of us. Uh, It's great. So without anything else from me, here's my conversation with Ruby Newell Legner on the Business of Fun podcast. I am very, very excited to welcome Ruby Newell Legner. So this is a fun podcast. Uh, this is like somebody. I, if you, I, I'm so super excited to talk to Ruby. What's happening?
1: Hey, I'm excited. It's been a great week. I don't know if I should talk about the World Series or not.
0: Well, it depends if you are an Astros fan or a Nationals fan,
1: well, or just you're just a it's baseball a great fan.
0: Series? How's that? <laughs> oh, I think that's the <laughs> diplomatic way of saying it. It was very, of course, very it interesting. Was so-
1: Strategic diplomacy is one of my favorite uh, terms.
0: <laughs> I I thought it was great. I mean, I live in D.C. Uh, I'm not necessarily, um, like we talked about before, a Nationals fan. I am, uh, unfortunately, most of the time a Mariners or Mets fan. Um, but it was really, really exciting. It couldn't have been a better series, I think, to get people in, you know engaged in baseball and to follow baseball. Um, so hopefully that will be a halo effect for the sport. Um, I love it. Yeah. How's that for di- strategic diplomacy? That was pretty diplo- diplomatic as well. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm getting better at this as I get a, l- a little bit further down the road. Uh, <laughs> now I am there. I don't, I, I hope everybody knows who you are already because um, you have like maybe the greatest customer service stories to, to tell ever. And um yeah. yes, oh, I still talk about the pictures you showed me of uh Dubai and like when we were hanging out in uh pittsburgh the at the a l s d um because your pictures were fantastic, and the stories of service are incredible um but if by chance, nobody knows who you are, can you give everybody a little introduction about you and what you're doing?
1: Oh, sure. Well, I work in the, the space of fan experience, and that's basically customer service 101. And that goes from the executive level all the way down to the front line. So I have 32 professional teams that I work with in the U.S., 33 teams in Mexico, and 14 in the United Arab Emirates. And my goal is to help them create a fan experience that builds retention, loyalty, and really creates a, an awesome experience for all their fans.
0: And I think what I really like about this, and we're going to talk about this customer service thing for a while, is that when you work with your clients, because I was looking through your bio, the, the results speak for themselves. And I know that I think I've uh, you know shared this with people before, is that I think that customer service is the best form of marketing for an organization. Um, a lot of times people also push back and they go, well, we, how do we afford to pay for customer service? And my answer is always like, how do you afford not to? Uh your results, though, speak for, your, for, for that as well, but what is the kind of guiding philosophy of customer service that you share with your partners and your clients?
1: The goal is to look at the whole big picture and identify all the steps, all the, I call it the cycles of service. So they look at all the the experiences a person goes through when they're going to an event or buying a ticket or, you know, experiencing anything. And it doesn't necessarily have to be in sports, but um, my background and usually most of my examples are in sports and identify those steps that you need to take and then evaluate what the customer needs. You know, sometimes I go into organizations and they have these great protocols and these great procedure manuals, but they haven't really tapped into the opportunity to look at all the steps a customer goes through. You know, and for years it's been said, you know, wear your customer shoes and, you know, make sure that you're doing what they need. But when you really do it and you step back and identify those steps a customer goes through and then agree upon as a group all the standards that you're going to set then it has this powerful uh, it's it's twofold internally you know your partners better you know the other departments better and then also the customers you really see that oh wow it is important if if i don't tell a person what gate to go to to get to the right seat they're going to be frustrated before the event even starts so it it seems like that identifying all of the elements that a customer goes through so that you can address where there's problems and shine where there's you know opportunities
0: yeah, there, that's what, what you're talking about. There's a, a overlap because I'll always say that you aren't your customer. And what I mean by that is that all too often we make decisions in an organization based on our knowledge of the environment. And you have to recognize the idea that the customer doesn't know the same thing you do, right? The customer is not coming to the, in baseball ballpark 90 times a year, right? Or a 100 and something days a year. So they don't understand all the ins and outs. And to me, great service, which I think really is like great marketing and probably great sales and really just putting on a great experience begins with empathy. And it's got to, you have to have a, a great deal of empathy for the people that you want to serve and that you want to have as your customers. Um, and, you know, I'm kind of curious about where you feel and where you sit down on this, because I I mean, I can't think of probably, um, if anybody ever gets an email, like you, you're like, I'm your fan, right? And it's like, to me, that's like a really empathetic thing to say to somebody, right? Because you are understanding like, Hey, I can do a little thing in my signature that really drives and, and boosts somebody. And if that's like not a generous gift that you give, I don't know what is. So I'm curious about, you know, how you talk about empathy, because I know it's at the heart of service.
1: Well, I'll talk about the signature piece a little bit. A lot of people think that that's standard on my my signature at the bottom of my email. I write each one of those. And sometimes you're a fan. Sometimes you're a forever. I'm a forever fan. And sometimes I'm your cheerleader. So I do change it up and I choose which one I'm going to use depending on the relationship with the individual. So um, it's always interesting the first time someone contacts me and I I say, your newest fan. And they're like, That's kind of cool, you know, that's pretty neat. So, you know, you have to wear your stuff all the way through. You know, Dave, you said earlier in our in our relationship that customer service is the best form of marketing and I could not agree more. Because when you do a great job creating that experience for somebody, they're gonna talk about it. And it's much easier to have that word of mouth marketing than it is to pay for marketing. So if you invest in making sure that the experience is positive, it's gonna have, you know, many ramifications in a in a positive way.
0: Now, one of the things I'm curious about, too, because, you you know, we, we've talked about some of these positive things. And, you know, in a way, what interests me, too, is change. And one of the things I, I always am curious about is, like, what people – how people encourage other people to, to change, right? So when you're dealing with a client and you want – and they want to do something differently or they want to improve their customer service uh, practices or they understand that, like, elevating their customer service will drive revenue. You know, however it goes, how do you get people to embrace change? And how do you get them to buy into this? Because any change management opportunity is often met with some level of resistance because people are afraid uh in a way. Um they're uncertain, uh, you know, or they may even worse, maybe been down this road a couple times before. So how do you Talk to this, you know, flip it around. How do you get people to buy into the change and the idea that customer service is like so valuable?
1: What a powerful question. That could be a whole, like a, a week-long seminar, I'm quite sure. I'll tell you some highlights. One thing I think it is really important is to develop trust and to show a person or a team or a group or the executives that you are there to help them and that you're not here with a cookie cutter, here's the plan, but I listen and make sure that I understand them, that empathy you were talking about earlier. Once they understand that I'm willing to see what they are doing, identify their their accolade opportunities and really, you know, address them, then they realize that I'm their partner and that I can help them address the things that they haven't thought of or the things that maybe need some Changes. Uh, that's the first step, is developing that trust. The second one, um, I love the change-based adoption model, and I don't know if you're familiar with it. It's called the Sabam. I learned it working with GE, and I do a lot of training for GE and Johnson & Johnson in presentation skills, and I love teaching them because they, I always learn something too. The Sabam was one of those things, and the change-based adoption model really walks you through seven steps. We don't have time to do them all, but I'll tell you the overview that I love about it. When an organization is going through change, they start out at the very bottom and maybe at the executive level, they start out at the very bottom of the sabam and that is where, hey, I think we should do this. And then the next level is, oh, I didn't know we were going to do that. And it goes up to the very top of the level where everybody's like, hey, this is so awesome. And then they bring it out to the front line and they say, hey, we're making all these changes. This is going to be great. And everybody goes back down to the first level and goes, I didn't know we were going to do that. Do you hear anything about that? So it's about the communication that goes along with change, and making sure that each level of the change has an opportunity to communicate, and and really resonate with what happens at that step. And if an organization who is going through change will identify those steps and what they're going to do to communicate with the people that are experiencing the change, or or being told they have to change, which no one likes, um, then if they bring them on board along with them. It really does make a big difference, and I find that the successful teams that I work with are the ones that really embrace the opportunity, they, they identify the SABAM, and then they also really work to involve everybody along the way. They don't just say, hey, we planned all these things here, do it, because it's not that people don't like change, it's people don't like being told they have to change, <laughs> But when they're part of it and they get to decide part of it, oh, it just makes all the difference in the world. So that was a, a one, one day course I just gave you there in about five minutes. <laughs> no, that was great.
0: I, I love the part about um, needing to communicate change. And then I like the thing about people don't like to, they don't like to change or they don't like to be told to change. And I often, and I think that my clients look at me a little bit or the, the good ones understand where I'm coming from. The, the, the not good ones, they will look at me like I'm crazy because I'll tell them, I go, I can, I know a lot of times I know the answer. I know exactly what you should do, right? I also know that if I tell you what you should do, you're not going to do it. So I have to not tell you, I have to lead you towards where I want you to go. Almost so that it seems like you discover it yourself. And people are like, oh, I I think you're crazy, Dave. And I go, well, I am, but there's a different reason for this. And and so I'm kind of curious from your point of view and dealing with the people you do, because you talked about communication being so important in change. What does good communication look like? Because I think a lot of times we think we're being better communicators than we Maybe are and or we don't necessarily understand how to make sure that we're communicating effectively with a team because everybody has a different style and a different way of seeing seeing uh, communications or receiving it or accepting it, you know, whatever you would like to, to describe it as. So how do you help your clients understand what effective communication looks like when you're leading change?
1: Another great question. Communication is the key to everything. And as you said just a minute ago, it's so important that they discover it themselves. So when you go in and you work with a group and help that the executives identify that it's, it could be their idea and you lead them in that direction it's the same way with everybody that works in the organization that the executives have to acknowledge that it's much better to get the team involved and get all the, the you know the management the directors the the frontline supervisors and then the frontline have have them vote on some of the things so that they get to have some buy into it so along that journey the communication is imperative of you know first of all If the executives don't know the vision of their organization, that's where we start, and we identify that. And when that is crystal clear, that sets the foundation. And my seven-star service programs are based on the seven-star experience that I had in Dubai and the seven-star hotel over there. It's been my namesake for, you know, since 2005. And identifying those steps that they took as well as the Tips that I've seen other teams do—it is so powerful. If they know their vision, if they don't know their vision, they don't know where they want to go. They don't know what they want their reputation to be. Then it's it's really really challenging. But once they get that, then if they communicate that, and this is where we're going to go, um, Orlando Magic. You know, when I first worked with them, I met with Alex Martins, who was at the time he was president. And now I I think he's CEO, or actually vice versa. He was COO and now he's president. And he was so crystal clear, you know, we create legendary moments on and off the court. That's pretty clear. And so if everybody agrees with that and everybody's on the same page, then wow, we can really do some great things because you can always ask yourself is what I'm spending my time on and what I'm doing, is it really helping create legendary moments on and off the court? And so it's a, it's a great. Place to start with the communication and then along, along the way, what's going to happen really makes a big difference as well.
0: Yeah, the legendary moments on and off the court. I can say for certain that, uh, so the vision, we're going to, we're going to touch on this vision thing because this is, um, almost like the core, um, just the base of getting in the door and working with me now is like, we have to understand what your vision is and where you're going. And again, I'm going to make this assumption based on my, my experience and not anybody else's is that, explaining why you need the vision, just like you did with the Orlando magic can be very, very challenging because if you don't have, if you have a vision, you understand exactly why, because it, it really infiltrates everything you do and it makes every decision you make, um, extremely valid or much more forceful, I guess is the way to put it because you can go, this is a wise use of our time and resources or an unwise use of our time and resources. Um, when you're talking and you're dealing with somebody who doesn't understand or doesn't have a vision, you know, how, what is that helping lead them towards the, the understanding that not only do you need a vision, but it's almost an essential to ultimate success? How do you get people to understand that? And how do you get them to buy into the process? Because developing the vision and then buying into it so that you can deliver on it are, is like a really complex challenge.
1: It, it, it's 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 so big, and I'm so glad that you agree with it because it is really imperative that that's one of the key things. I just had the opportunity to uh, guide a group in Saudi Arabia over mission, uh, vision, and values, and um, we're we're just wrapping it up. And they took the the drafts that we came together and created over like a four day period. To the, the stakeholders and said, what do you think? And what was so beautiful about the responses was that, wow, I am so proud to work for this organization because they believe that. Wow, I'm inspired by the, the vision and the future and where we're gonna go. And it was just, it was so invigorating to see it all happen before my eyes. And this is a group that did not have any change in their mission, vision or values for 10 years. And so it's so powerful watching the, the, the group come on board and get so excited about it and contribute and, and fight for their word to be in the vision. That was a very interesting thing too, because fight sounds like a, You know, a derogatory term, but these people were so passionate about what they do, they wanted to make sure that the vision was so clear for the people that they work with. And we had a large group that was over 20 people, which is a little bit too big for me, you know, because it's – but we wanted to include all the stakeholders, so – Anyway, um, another piece that I wanted to share with you is after we get the vision done, then you have to have a I, what I call a customer service mantra and I love doing that. I help groups create a fan experience council, and that's a representative from every department and every department has a say in the future. So they get to address issues. They make recommendations. They're not a decision making group, but these recommenders have a, you know, I have a template and we go through that. This is when you're going to recommend something. You do your homework and da, 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 da. But one of the things that we create is called a fan experience mantra. And some of the groups have just, well, they all have come up with such amazing mantras. Which once again, if you're talking about your big picture vision, this is the vision for the customer experience. And so, for instance, the uh, Kansas City Royals. And I want, to, I want to clarify that the group, I guide them and they come up with this. I don't come up with this. I just help them do this. Uh, take pride in treating our guests like royalty. Once again, they kind of brought the royal theme back in there. And, and if you know that that's your job, is to take pride in treating our guests like royalty. It gives you a whole new meaning to what you're, what you're doing every day. Uh, Tampa Bay Lightning. I love this one. Electrifying experiences ignited by world-class service. When Mr. Vinnick, the owner of the team, saw that, he goes, where did that come from? And I said, I'm so happy and so proud to say that your team created that. So it really gives that framework that allows people to go, yeah, I work for this group and I'm excited. It's it's really a great thing.
0: What I like about the – well, I like both of those. Those examples are awesome. Uh, And what I really like about it is that it empowers the people who are in the organization, right? I often say this. Um, and I don't remember where I learned it, but I'm not the agent of change. Just like you, uh, and I don't know if you feel this way. It's the people who are internally—they're they're the agents of change. I'm just here to help show, like, shine a little light on the path for you. I'm here to help you see that oh, things things are going to get better. You're gonna, and it's going to be a lot more fun on the other side. And and so these are like really, really like guiding people to these conclusions. It's very powerful, and I think it shows people how powerful they can be in their organizations because. Again, when you're talking about change for people, I think sometimes it becomes difficult if things haven't changed in a while to overcome uh, the inertia of not having, you know, this positive vision to see, which brings me back to my question, which is like you talk about mission, vision, and values. and. The organization you worked with that hadn't changed in 10 years. How often do you suggest people revisit these things? How, you know, how often should they be looking at them? I, I mean, cause they should be thinking about them every day, at least from my point of view, but looking at them to make sure that they are consistent with where they want to go. What would you see? What would you suggest?
1: How often should they revisit those things? Well, I think it's an annual revisit, but I don't necessarily mean that they do redo them every year. Because there's so many things that change within organizations. You know, the economy changes, the focus changes, and all of those elements that go through, that's what you have to evaluate. So you should do a checkup every year and look at the mission and vision and values and see if it still applies. You know, your vision is supposed to be so futuristic and it's where you want to go. Your mission is where you are today and what you do. And so then the values that go along with it are very important. So uh, along the way, I've watched groups add sustainability and, you know, being green and really focused on the environment be added to their values because it was an initiative within the organization. So I'm kind of dancing around the answer because I don't think there's a standard answer, but I think it's important every year to look at it and see if it's still relevant, see if you need to take something away or add or tweak. And then sometimes it's great to just look at the whole thing from scratch and say, hey, we have a whole set of new people here that didn't create this. And maybe we need to get them together and identify what they want, because it is really that empowerment that you came back to, is that empowering your group is really about helping them understand the importance that they play and giving them a vote on what is being decided.
0: Right. And to me, it sounds like almost you advocate for a philosophy that I think I share as well. And I don't want to put words in your mouth, so I'll put them in mine, which is that at their best in their best form businesses are living things that should constantly be evolving they should constantly be adapting to the circumstances around them and they should be always kind of changing and and reinventing themselves the most stable and the most successful businesses at least in my experience are the ones who are they're not resistant to change they're grabbing it by the scruff of the neck and they're going hey look I'm going to, I'm going to change and I'm going to drag you along with me change. And uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, that's at least what it sounds like to me. I, but again, those are my words, not Ruby's.
1: <laughs> well, Dave, I've already decided we were probably siblings separated at birth because our, our, our philosophy is so aligned. Our methodology really, you know, we want to help organizations get better. And it's a process of not going in and telling them, but helping them see the way. So I couldn't agree more. Yeah. Well,
0: I mean. This sounds like we're having, we're having like a little mutual love fest. A love <laughs> <laughs> um, but one thing, and, and this again, this is going to sound like our, a little love fest, but that's fine because we've known each other long enough now that we, you know, we can say whatever we want to do to each other. One thing that I wanted to ask you about that I know is fascinating to me, and I know it's something that you're very interested in as well, is bringing ideas from all over the world and applying them to your clients, right? Um, yeah, and sometimes that's a challenge because you have to educate people on where they are as an organization compared to where they can get to. Um, and so when you're bringing some of these great ideas, like from the Middle East, you know, cause again, that's where the seven star service came from to let's say central America or the U S or something, you know, how, how do you incorporate those ideas that you've gained from all, of, all around the world um, and bring them back to your clients? You know, is there a, a process that you undergo or is it just like you sort of just, hey, look, I've seen this done and this is great and it can apply here. You know, how do you do that? Because I'm going to again, and I'll ask you about this. The traveling and like experiences all over the world is like one of the most incredible things. And it's probably been one of the most valuable things as far as like me innovating for myself and developing new ideas for my business. Um, and sometimes changing that and giving that to other people can be a little bit of a struggle because they don't have the same experiences and they haven't had the same positive experiences that I have. I'm I don't know I if talked. I really asked that question No, very actually,
1: well. I, I'm right with you. How, you know, when I, I just talked about the Sabam and the levels that you go through and we all go through them as well. So we started a certain level. So, and then by the time I get to the top level, I'm like, this is going to be awesome. Let's do this. And that's where it feels like you're shoving it down their throat. <laughs> Because you're already there, but they're not there yet. <laughs> so I, that piece has been so powerful for me. So when I go into a group, I try to do the same thing. I, I'm gentle with them, so I actually take them to the hotel. In 2005, when I was invited to speak in Dubai and I got to stay at the hotel – It really stretched my mind on so many levels because their attention to detail and how they, I felt served and anticipated and all those things. So instead of me saying, Hey, this is all the things you need to do. I take them back to my first experience and I walk them through the hotel and I tell them about how they, they didn't just, you know, take, have me stand at the desk to get registered. They sat me on a couch and they came to me. Like who does that? So. As I, as I go through it again and I love reliving that little first adventure, I watch them go, oh, so I stretch their mind like my mind was stretched and then it opens up their mind to possibilities and the, the power of Looking at things in a different way. I absolutely love bringing in ideas from other groups. I, you know, I work with all the, all the different leagues. And so if I bring an idea from Major League Baseball to hockey or hockey to football or uh, basketball into the, the different sports, it's so powerful. And so, but I can't be the say, and say, okay, this is what you need to do. I need to go in and say, Hey, let's, let's experience this together. And then when they, and I, and My favorite thing as a speaker is to see the light bulb, and sometimes there's even noises with the light bulb above the head. It's kind of like the Scooby-Doo moments where they go, hmm? you know, you can just see it, and it's so, oh, my gosh, that's my favorite thing in the whole world when I go, oh, they're with me now, you know. <laughs> and, and at the same time, there's groups that I will go in, and I will tell the whole hotel experience but they're not a hotel, and they'll be turning to each other. Does she know we're not a hotel? You know, so it's like how you bring them on the journey with you is going to determine if, it, if you do expand their mind and you get them ready for these ideas. But you can't just start out by saying do this, this, and this. And I think that's your philosophy too. And the success I've seen you have with other groups is that you help them understand, you know, help them discover it.
0: Yeah, that that eureka moment is real, and then usually the opposite side. When I get them all scratching their heads when I'm speaking to lawyers, (laughs) because they're all (laughs) that's a whole different group. Yeah, that's a whole different group (laughs) because they're all like going instead of aha, they're all like going, "You're a moron," and I'm going, going, (laughs) "Oh," and but it's really but. The point you make, and and I'm joking because, you know, that's what I do here. But the point you make is really, really great because a lot of times an organization, like let's say um, you're talking to a professional services organization, a consulting firm or a law firm or any of those, and you're talking about what would happen at a seven-star hotel. And they go, well, how does that apply? And I go, I think that one of the challenges that all of us are trying to create or overcome is teaching people that, like, just because something works in a hotel and you're not a hotel doesn't mean it can't work for you. It might not be the same thing. You might, you know, it might not be setting somebody in a, on a couch while you check them in, but it could. The thing is, is it's the concept do. behind it that you can apply, right? All of these things to me are marketing, right? Because I was going to use the example of the Surf Club in Miami. That's the, my favorite hotel in the world. Tell um, me about that. I was, oh my god, it was great. Um, and I sent the general manager a, a note after I left when we were there over the summer because when we were leaving, the staff hugged me on the way and I was like, my, I was like so like overwhelmed. I was like, this is like the nicest thing because it, it didn't feel unnatural. It was like so great. And I was like, these people are so awesome. But they didn't sit me on the couch. I still had to stand at the table, at the desk. <laughs> I was like, I gotta get to the gotta get to the couch. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> This is awesome. I was like, I, I'm going to steal that and use that for everybody now. You got to sit somebody on a couch when you check them in. Cause that is like, that's another level right there. That is, is truly, and it's such a small thing because does it really cost any more financially? Probably not. Does it cost any more, you know, how hard is it to set that up? Probably not very hard, but where it really comes off and this is where the difference is, especially as we're like more technology driven and there's more technology and there's less human connection. The amount of emotional labor that goes into that is huge, but the difference between any business is likely going to be the emotional intensity of the connection and the amount of motion, emotional labor that somebody's going to put into uh, building a relationship with their customers. And that to me is like sort of at the heart of what you do. Is like you know you tell people you're you're trying to coach people to be more human, and maybe I don't know you can use that as an endorsement. That's that's right. That's a great great
1: way to put it. You'd be more human, and and think about how many organizations and how many businesses that you and I have been to where we walk in and we go, oh, that person should not be in that
0: job. (laughs) Oh my, yes. You know,
1: so, and that happens when I go into organizations too. There's been people who've been in the job. They don't like their job. They're not good at their job. They're miserable. And there is no way that person can serve the customer in a positive way. They just don't have it. And they may be in the wrong job or they may not be in the right industry or whatever it is. But if you identify those, then you can actually start hiring people with emotional intelligence. I can't tell you how many ah ahas that come across with that you know the, the empathy you were talking about. You know, like, oh, they need that.
0: Uh, yeah, they do. <laughs> what a concept! <laughs> <laughs> that, that's like a key hiring skill these days. But yeah. Please, we'll please come there. with come with empathy. Um, now, I, 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 I just, I, I mean, I love this. I think we could talk all day long, but um, we could. <laughs> Oh my God, yes. Um, and you know, I think though that like the challenge to be more human, um, the the understanding that customer service is just really like such an important part of marketing and it's, you know, I can say it because I I can, I think this probably comes across, I love people and, and the fact that like, you know, I get so amped up by sh- exchanging ideas with people like you or with just people in general, it's like just it, it, it makes my head spin, it's so exciting sometimes um, but so thank you for doing this, but how can I put people towards you on the internet? Again, because we'll all go day. on all day with this love fest that's going on. <laughs>
1: Actually, well, I love to connect with people on LinkedIn because they can read about my experiences and I can read about them. So I encourage people to reach out to me on LinkedIn is probably the best way. I have a website and it has, you know, my credentials and what I do on it. And it's seven star service and that's the number seven star service dot com. They can reach out there, but just reach out and I'm the only Ruby Newell Legner on Facebook and I'm the only Ruby Newell Legner on LinkedIn. So I'm very easy to find, you have to go through all these names, and that, that's the only advantage. Well, there's lots of advantages to hyphenating your name, but um, in this day and age, when I fly with United and there's three L's in the middle of my name because they don't use hyphens, they always try to correct it. You know, and I fly a lot, <laughs> so, but that that's a disadvantage. But uh, I found that you know it's easy to find me because there aren't very many of me.
0: Well, and that I would say is a positive because you know. I'm glad to know you. And I think that um, hopefully everybody's going to dig this conversation because it was great.
1: Well, it was great, Dave. And I thank you so much for asking me to to be on your podcast. And gosh, let's do it again.
0: Yeah. Oh, well, you know, because it's my podcast, I have people on whenever I want to. (laughs) There you go. I thought this one was fun. Let me know what you thought of my conversation with Ruby by sending me an email. It is my name, Dave at DaveWakeman.com. You can also find out what I'm up to by visiting my website, which is DaveWakeman.com, where you'll find my blog, calendar, um, events I'm putting on, all kinds of great stuff. If you want to connect with me on social media, you know I'm there. You can hit me up on LinkedIn, where you can just search my name, Dave Wakeman. I come up pretty readily. Or you can find me on Twitter. I'm at David Wakeman. If you like what I'm doing on the podcast, I'd love it if you would share an episode with a colleague, a friend, or someone you think would benefit from conversations like the one I had today with Ruby, uh, recent ones with uh, Simon Mab, uh, any other ones I've done with Corey Gibbs or My- uh, Martin Gamletoff, uh the w- one that I really think was great with Lauren Teague from very early in the podcast, um, Maureen Anderson, and really, really some just truly great conversations. If you share one with somebody you think that would benefit from it, it'd be awesome to me. If you've gone down that route, I'd love it if you'd become a subscriber. We're on almost all of the major platforms at this point and pretty easy to find. I can find you in my car and by asking Alexa for you to play me. So it's pretty fantastic if you ask me. Um, And if you've gone that far where you become a subscriber, I would love it if you would leave a review. All of these things help make sure that I can continue to deliver uh, great guests, and great conversations for you that hopefully add value to what you're doing and give you some new insights and some new ideas so that you can continue to uh, grow your business. I'd also like to remind you that I am doing a one-day workshop in Melbourne, Australia on the 18th of November, two weeks from today, called Fans for Life, Creating and Keeping Modern Fans. You can find tickets to that by going to Eventbrite and searching for Fans for Life. I'd love it if you're there, and if you're in Australia, it's going to be great. We are going to have uh, guest appearances from people from all over the world who are going to come in for the latter half of the day, talk about best practices from around the world. Um, It's really shaping up to be a fantastic day of learning uh, and a great opportunity to connect with me, um, some of my friends, and people from all over the world. It's going to be awesome. So make sure you do that. I'd also tell you that you should definitely make sure that you're at the Ticketing Professionals Conference in Sydney, Australia on the 14th and 15th. It's Joe Michelle's birthday on the 14th. It's going to be awesome. So we're going to celebrate that. I'm going to be delivering the opening keynote on change. It's shaping up to be one of the best talks that I've probably ever had the opportunity to deliver. Um, I have been talking to people all over the world about how change happens, what makes change successful, what makes uh, people reluctant or resistant to change, how do you overcome that, and a whole lot more. Um, If you haven't already and you're going to be in Sydney or around Sydney or you can get to Sydney, you should be there. Get your tickets at www.ticketingprofessionals.com.au. It's going to be fantastic. Also, you're going to want to check out me and Simon, because we will be there. Simon's going to be talking about customer service and fraud prevention. And we're still planning on trying to do something on Wednesday, the 13th of November. So if you're going to be in Sydney, make sure you send either me or Simon an email. I'm Dave at DaveWakeman.com, Simon, Simon simon.mab at BookingProtect.com. And we'll let you know what we're up to. It's going to be great. As always, I want to thank my friends at Booking Protect for being fantastic partners of the Business of Fun podcast, fantastic partners of the Talking Tickets newsletter, uh, and just fantastic partners to people all over the world in entertainment uh, and tickets and events and all of these great things that we are putting on. If you don't, and you haven't looked at it already, you should visit their website. It's www.bookingprotect.com and find out how you can become a partner of Booking Protect. It gives you an opportunity to deliver world-class customer service, not just best in the industry, but just best-in-the-world customer service, one of the most innovative technology platforms anywhere you can find. Uh, It gives you an opportunity to offer your guests a more personalized and customized buying path, which is very important to customers today. It'll allow you to offer them peace of mind as on-sale dates are pushed further and further out and people have more and more um, uncertainty in their lives because you're buying a ticket a year in advance. You, Who knows what's going to go on? And... Maybe the most important thing for a lot of you is you can create a brand new stream of revenue for your organization. Um, find out about all that stuff by visiting them at their website, www.bookingprotect.com. And like I said, Simon and I both will be in Sydney, Australia for the Ticketing Professionals Conference on the 14th and 15th of November. Uh, we have a stand on the trade show floor. Uh, we are going to be out and about. Uh, I can speak for both of us when I can say we are super excited. We can't wait to see all of you in Australia in person um, and get to hang out with you and, and visit your, the beautiful Sydney, uh, city of Sydney. It's going to be fantastic. And as always, I want to thank all of you for being listeners of the Business Fund podcast. Uh, I couldn't do this without you. So until next time, take it easy.